Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back to Up My Hockey for episode number 27 with Jason Padolan. I am Jason Padolan and today we have on a, a really spectacular guest uh, in the name of Nathan Dempsey, an ex-NHLer, my ex-teammate in St. John's and an ex-captain of mine there as well. And this episode is a bit different because not only does Dewey chronicle, as usual, his his story, his journey, which I'll get to in a second here in the official description, but hockey's hard enough, and making the NHL is hard enough, and Nathan's path was harder than most. The resilience that he showed, the perseverance that he had, the the approach to making himself better and turning himself into an NHL player are there's all great lessons there but not only is the NHL hard enough to get to but playing in the NHL while experiencing symptoms of early onset Parkinson's is something that I can't even fathom and to watch Nathan shake as we had this interview I continuously went back to me seeing him in the locker room and watching him on the ice and knowing who he was and knowing he's still that guy and maybe even more so his integrity his leadership ability his his ability to inspire was was magnified to me by his vulnerability during this interview by his willingness to be open about the struggles he has with parkinson's and uh and what he faces on a daily basis so this episode was really special for me, and uh, and I hope you enjoy it because it really shines a light on the person who is Nathan Dempsey. And if you've listened to any episodes before this one, you know that is what I love to celebrate is the person. And it always is about the people because great people make great hockey players. And that's one thing that I'm that I'm bound and determined to yell from the rooftop. And the more we focus on being better people, we're going to be high performers in whatever field that we want to do. And, and Nathan really exemplifies that and is a testament to that. Um, but I should get on with the episode description here, the official description. Uh, after six seasons in the minors with only 20 NHL games, one wouldn't generally expect for a 28-year-old player to make a full-time jump to the NHL, but that's what Nathan did. An 11th round draft pick of the Toronto Maple Leafs in 1992, Dempsey was never a, a high profile prospect and was just hoping to crack the AHL coming out of junior. And in his rookie pro season, Nathan took advantage of some injuries uh, to some veteran players and solidified his spot on the St. John's Leafs, uh, where three seasons later, at 22 years old, he would be named the team captain. At that time, Nathan began to shift his sights on bigger things and he was ready to become an NHLer, but solid season after solid season uh was not enough to get nathan the opportunity and pat quinn told him quite straight to his face that he never thought he was an nhler um, but nathan didn't agree and he continued to grow his game and his leadership skills and made one huge decision that allowed him to become an nhl regular which he shares in this episode which i found quite compelling um, and he made that that breakthrough with the chicago blackhawks as a free agent in 2002 
And after finally making his NHL dreams come true and enjoying his third season in the show, Nathan experienced symptoms of early-onset Parkinson's while playing with the Los Angeles Kings, and Nathan had new challenges to face. And although he wasn't officially diagnosed until years later, Nathan felt it affecting his game and was forced to retire from the sport in 2008. Leaving the game behind, though, was not an option for Nathan um, or Demmer, as I more uh, affectionately call him. And he now serves as the campus director at Vimy Ridge Hockey in Edmonton, Alberta, where he's supporting young athletes support uh, or develop their love and skill with the game. Uh, this is a raw and real conversation, and we cover so many great things like uh, finding your identity and not caring about the judgment of others and how that was important to Nathan's development. Uh, how Nathan defines resilience and why he believes you can practice it and how he does that daily. Um, the key decision that Nathan called selfish um, that the year that got him is where he earned his NHL job. That That is quite interesting. And I hope you guys like that as much as I did. And also why working on your strengths for Nathan um, might be more important than working on your weaknesses and why that's true in a pro environment and how the proper mindset made a difference for Nathan as a player and how it continues to make a difference for him as a person. So many thanks to my old teammate, Nathan Dempsey, for spending time with me and being so open and vulnerable about so many things. Uh, I believe this is an inspiring episode and one that you are sure to enjoy. So without further ado, I bring you my friend, my teammate, Mr. Nathan Dempsey. All right, we are live for episode 27. Geez, I believe it is now. And uh, so, so grateful and pumped to have my old captain sitting here across the screen from me, Mr. Nathan Dempsey. Demmer, thanks so much for being here. Oh, uh, yeah, it's always great to see you, Jay. It's, uh, it's been a long time, but uh, just like old days, coming back, seeing you live across the screen for me, it's uh, it's going to be nice to talk. <laughs> no, it's so, it, I, I'm just so blessed. We, we, we only spoke for about five, 10 minutes here before we came on, but um, so blessed to have this platform to reconnect with guys, because I don't think we do it enough. Um, just, you know, guys in general, don't pick up the phone enough anymore. And uh you know, to have this as an opportunity to, to reconnect and to tell some old stories maybe and see what you're doing now, I, I'm, I'm really grateful. So once again, I know you're a busy guy. Thanks so much for being here. Um, we have a lot of people that are interested in this in this interview. Like I said, we have uh, quite a few listeners from Newfoundland area. Um, we, uh, you know, you spent a lot of time there in St. John's, as did I. So we'll cover some time there. But really, I want to I want to get into it all, Nate. I want to get into um you know your junior time in 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 Regina there with with Jeff Fries and a buddy of mine and mm -hmm. and getting drafted and coming into St. John's and and spending a lot of time there getting your crack at the show your your butt with Parkinson's and now what you're doing at Vimy Ridge I think there's so much good stuff that a lot of people are going to find interest in so um so why don't we just maybe dig in like uh no. to you know what it's kind of funny actually so I, I looked uh I like doing this too because I get to research and see what the heck's going on with some of some of my old teammates. And I right. saw that in '92, so your first year it was your rookie year in Regina. You got you got drafted in the 11th round, 245th overall. Yeah, that's there. There was there's not even close to that many picks available anymore. I don't think Jay. So it was pretty late. Um, obviously, uh, exciting time for me, but honestly, like not expecting to be drafted that year at all. Like. Um, well, even my agent at the time suggested, you know, probably, um, you know, going to be bypassed and we'll look to next year and hopefully get it uh, get it done a year after. But uh, uh, Scout, by the name of uh, uh, 
Malarchuk, not Clint, his, his Garth Malarchuk was yeah, this quote. You might, I don't know if you remember Garth Malarchuk. He was brothers with Clint and uh, was a Toronto Maple Leaf scout and was one probably one of the guys that probably scouted you too, Jay, yeah. uh, back in the day. Um, but uh, he took a flyer on me in the last round and, uh, you know, he kind of put his neck on the line for me with the Leafs and, um, you know, kind of went from there and things kind of worked out from there. Yeah, well, no kidding. And I mean, that you mentioned like, well, one, I, I did count. There's 19 guys picked after you. So you have a very similar story to Scotty Nickel, who I know you know. Um, I you know, late late round, I think there's only one player after him or two. Yeah. Um, ended up having an NHL career, uh, which is, I just I just love those stories. I really do. I mean, yeah. you probably would have preferred not to have gotten drafted that year as much as an honor as it was because, I mean, it was so late, right? Yeah. Um, and you Chances were I'd probably go a little earlier the next year, right? But yeah, hundred percent, right? Hundred percent. When you're taking, you're taking, and you're just happy and proud of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But the, that's the thing that people like. One is hard enough to get drafted, so of course, awesome honor, right? Like somebody yeah. recognizes you as potentially being an NHL guy. But then every year, you mean like for in in this instance, right? You had potentially ten players ahead of you in the Toronto Maple Leafs organization oh. just from that draft year as far as from a depth chart thing is concerned, right? And then you have yeah. the next year, right? So there's there's these players that just keep coming in, right? So it's it's one thing, we've talked about this on the show a lot. It's one thing to, you know, dip your toe even into the minor leagues, right? To get a spot in the AHL is hard enough, right? And to keep that spot, let alone in the NHL, because there's all these guys coming in, coming in, coming in. So um, to get where you got to is, is amazing. And I want to get there. But a little trivia, first of all, um, from that spot, buddy, from 245, I was like, you know what? I bet you Denver has the most games played out of that spot uh, as far as NHL games played is concerned. But you weren't your third place all time from the 245 position. Do you know no. who is ahead of you? Oh, God, I couldn't even imagine. I, that's that's really in-depth, Jay. I, I'm not, <laughs> not even close. So I got to fill you in So because it's hilarious. One, Ken Baumgartner, so a little bit before our time, but an 85 draft pick. He played 696 games. And then Dustin Bufflin was a 245th overall draft pick. Stanley I mean, Cup I was a good, that was a good pick at that at that time, but man, that that is something right there. Getting that guy at that at that late, and that, and again, even with with Bufflin, I don't even I can't even imagine there was 245. So I know um, well, you're in good company, that, buddy. That's incredible. You're, you're in good company. So let's the, so let's talk about that. So you play you play uh, you play your time in uh, Regina. Oh, and Tom yeah. Laidlaw says hi. By the way, great to have Tom on the show. I was a guest on on Tom's podcast. He was a guest here, a past guest of Up My Hockey, doing some great things over there in the New York area. Um, nice. And Jason Saul says to say uh, say hi too. So we got wow, some. Wow, there, there's some memes from the past. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's super awesome. It's great. Um, so yeah, so we're. Oh, and by the way, we are live here in my parent group. I've been taking. Uh, I've been taking this this podcast just for the listeners now afterwards. Uh, taking my guests live in, inside the group. So if you ever want to have a front row seat to some of my guests and ask some questions to, uh, to people like Nathan, by all means, join us here. Um, but yeah, so, so Regina, WHL was tough back in that day. Um, you definitely had some good teams. Um, you grew into your role there. Like you said, it might have been better for you to potentially not get drafted in that first year because you had a 41-point campaign. The next year scored 12 goals and got up to 14. Played with some good players there, Dumont and Friesen. Uh, what's some of the memories there from, from WHL? You know, honestly, like, you know what it's like when you go into the Western League as a young guy, you're kind of just, you're in survival mode, right? Um, you're kind of try trying to find what kind of player you're going to be. Um, so you go in, you know, as your first year, and you're kind of just doing whatever it takes to make the team. Um, 
you know, I knew for the most part, I knew, you know, what kind of player I was going to end up being would be a puck moving guy, but you know, you go into, you know, your first year and you're, you're just fighting and you're, and you're just trying to do whatever it takes to stay in the lineup. And then as you kind of get more comfortable, you start to fit into your role a little bit more and get a little bit more uh, confident in your abilities. And um, you can see those things starting to pay off a little bit more. Um, so that's kind of how it was, you know, my first year. And that's why I was kind of surprised to get drafted. Cause I mean, uh, I was just, I was really in just survival mode, just trying to kind of get, get my feet wet and kind of get through it. But uh, obviously the next year I'm uh, playing with guys, like you mentioned, obviously Jason Smith was a, was a huge part of my, my, my development as a, as a defenseman being my partner for, for a year or two there. Um, Jeff Shantz is another guy that I keep in touch with. Uh, Shantz, actually is a, uh, runs with the edge program in Calgary uh, doing some coaching there. So I run into him uh, the odd time. Um, so good some really good too. teams we ended up going to the Eastern, uh, conference final, uh, my second year, uh, losing to, which would have been the, uh, the eventual Western hockey league champion was Swift current Broncos. And, uh, but again, just really getting lots of experience and playing in big games and then learning to, uh, again, do what you feel is successful for yourself and being able to develop and, you know, be, eventually kind of develop into a pro. How was that transition for you? Because you went as your draft year, so you didn't play as a 16-year-old, left home, um, you know, from Spruce Grove originally there, but then ended up uh, moving into Saskatchewan. Was that uh, was that something you knew just want you wanted to do? Like with Junior A, not not really the route you wanted to you wanted to be a dub guy, and and wherever you landed, you landed. Yeah, it was it was a it was a difficult decision. Obviously, my it was the difficult part was like not so much for me, but my my dad was a was a principal or was a principal. Um, obviously firmly believed in the schooling part of things um had some opportunities with some ncaa uh, offers if i would have uh you know kind of went the junior a route um but back in the early 90s uh, the western league was just you know the place to go for 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 young hockey players um it that ncaa um option just wasn't as enticing as it is now i believe or it just wasn't as as no i just didn't have as much knowledge about it um, all the players that I knew that were older than me went the Western Hockey League way and kind of just, you know, was one thing that I knew I wanted to do. I told my my mom she didn't want me to leave. And uh, I said, Mom, like, I'm going whether you like it or not. Like, I'm, I'm packing my car and I'm off. So, um, you know, and eventually they came around to it and um, it worked out. Right. Yeah. Chasing dreams. Right. We get pretty stubborn when we're that age. And oh, now yeah, you have for, oh, for sure as you as a father now, and I don't know if your son was involved in the game at all, but it's, it's crazy when I look at, you know, my, my oldest is 11, but absolutely loves the game. And I just can't imagine that potentially in five years, he's going to be the guy in the car and leaving somewhere. Right. Like it's, okay. it's nuts when you look at it from that place, but when you're, when you're that kid, that 16 year old kid, it's like, I mean, there's, there's no question this is happening. Oh, exactly. There's, there's nothing that's going to stop me or stop you from going. It's just, you know, it's a dream that you have and you're going to be, uh, you're going to do whatever it takes to kind of try to meet those goals. Have you, um, as far as billets, we've talked about that a little bit here. And I've, I've just mentioned that to parents is like when the kids go like that is potentially the most influential thing uh, that you need to worry about is, is the house that you land in. Did, did you have a good experience with who, who you had there in Regina? And is that something you still keep in touch with? Yeah, no, no, it was a, it was a good experience. I wouldn't say it's it was it was a great experience. I mean, it was it wasn't um because I know I mean I've played and you have probably played with tons of guys that I mean still keep in touch with their billets and um 
you know, had a great experience, but mine was just, um, you know, they, she was a single mom and she had younger kids and she had kind of her hands full. And so um, talking about being in survival mode, I think she was a little bit in survival mode too. And so um, it was more, and it actually worked out well for me because I was kind of more responsible for myself and was able to kind of um, come and go kind of as you please. Um, you know, maybe would not have been so good for somebody that was a little bit less disciplined, but, um, but, but, but she cared for me. She gave me what I needed to do to kind of get through it. Um, I've been in touch with her a little bit, but uh, right. not as much as I know lots of guys have um, with their builds in the past. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because you were disciplined hundred percent. I mean, I remember that from St. John's for sure. You mean, and then even your maturity level of, you know, finding Trish. I mean, I can't, I don't know where you guys exactly met, but I mean, you were, you were married when a lot of us weren't, I mean, almost nobody yeah. was right. Except for older guys. So I think that you kind of had that maturity curve a little earlier than, than most of us. And, and maybe, maybe you were in the right spot at the right time. And that helped even forge you uh, a little, a little more right from your innate traits, you know, and you were put in that position where it's just like, well, this is what I got to do. And I got to be serious about this. Right. Yeah, I, I think so. And it kind of stemmed a lot from my from my upbringing too. just making sure that I had my ducks in a row and making sure that I, and again, you know, you, you, you some things work out and some things don't, but for sure, like I, I've known my wife since we we're in grade nine and um, it's it's been nothing but a great ride for us. And um, I mean, just like anybody, you have to put your work in to make sure that it continues to work. Uh, but it's been an awesome experience for us. And she's been a huge support of mine all the way through my hockey career and now with uh having to deal with uh parkinson's and everything else and you need somebody beside your you know by your side to kind of help you lead your way through this kind of stuff and and she's been nothing but a great supporter of mine when did you guys when did did, did she come with you to st john's your first year trish so she stayed she was actually going to school uh university here in my first year and then um her her mom passed away when she was quite young she was 18 when her mom passed and so uh, she ended up coming halfway through my first year, coming to live with. I remember, I don't know if you remember Guy Lahou. Yeah. Yeah, Guy and I lived together. And then uh, Natalie, his eventual wife, and Trish came uh, after Christmas, and we all lived together as a big happy family there in St. John's. <laughs> uh, I learned all the French swear words and everything else to go along with it. And uh, no um, better guy to learn it from than Guy. No, absolutely. Just a gem. So, um, you know, yeah. he was a great guy to kind of again just kind of learn my maturity and he was the captain of our team and to kind of give somebody that could kind of uh put me under his wing a little bit and show me uh show me some cool things that is cool how did you end up hooking up with Guy? because i mean i've talked about that a lot here in this show is that aspect of you know not only having you know friends within the team but like almost mentors or people that can help right because that transition can be tough how did you end up hooking up with Guy like that yeah, yeah, really. So, you know, as a, as an 11th round pick and coming in, you know, my first year pro, um, very fortunate for me to have a cut. There's a couple injuries on the back end, um, as I went to St. John's there in my first year. And, um, again, with the injuries comes some opportunity for other people. Those other people just happened to be me and I'm kind of sprung with it. So, um, when they told me to get a place, um, you know, all the other young guys are kind of shacked up with somebody already uh and gee uh obviously being the leader type guy he was uh, maybe he saw something in me or whatever the case might be and he kind of put his head and said why don't we live together i can kind of show you around and stuff like that so again uh lucky for me to find somebody like that with the leadership qualities and the guy that kind of put me under his wing and then 
you know, something that I was able to kind of do as, as my career went on in St. John's. Gotcha. Well. I was going to ask you that actually, because again, we touched on a little bit, but being an 11th round pick, I mean, it's not like you're a shoe in to go play in the AHL. I mean, there's a lot no. of good hockey players and there's a lot of good guys in that system. So you making that, that, that your graduation out of junior um, to that camp, or not to the camp, obviously you would have went to main camp first, but like what your goal was, I assume, to make the AHL team, like that would have been yeah. what you wanted to do. Totally. Um, and I, had no, I had no dreams or aspirations, Jay, at that time to make the Leafs. I mean, you know, as a 20-year-old 11th round pick, you're right. I was just wanting to make sure I didn't go down to the coast because um, a lot of guys, that's where they first start off to try to make their way up to the American League. And like I said, with, with some, uh, some injuries, um, I can remember specifically David Harlock being one. Who was a who's a really good stay-at-home D-man got injured um, early in training camp and kind of gave me this opportunity to kind of, you know, forge my way into the lineup. Right, yeah, because it's crazy. I mean, there's a lot of good, like you know what I was looking up when JP Dumont that we were talking, not JP Dumont, sorry. Um, who's the Jason I'm thinking of that was in uh, in Regina with you? Oh, uh, Louis Dumont. Louis Dumont, yeah. So Louis Dumont, like he was a heck of a junior, didn't have a chance to uh, get in the AHL, like lit it up in the East Coast League. But it's just like it's hard to get out. I mean, not a little easier now. Like it's becoming more of a developmental league. But if if you get there, you mean it's hard. It's hard to end up taking somebody else's spot from the A. So I mean, that was great the way that worked out for you there. How was how was that like coming? Well, you know what? Let's go back a little bit, just to even your first your first training camp. That's usually a big memory for guys, like going yeah. going to the Leafs training camp and what that experience was like for you. I remember like one story that I remember specifically. It was just hilarious. Uh, I remember going into training camp and you know you get in all great shape and everything. I mean, but back then those veterans they were not in great shape. Like let's be honest, they they kind of came in and they knew they had their 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 time at training camp to get into shape. And I remember going in to do the bike. Uh, I think it was either the Wingate or the VO2 test. And um, and Jamie McCowan wheels in and, and uh, he's like, uh, does a couple stretches. They put down his, his score on the VO2. He never even got on the bike. <laughs> and he still put a, put a decent score down for him on the VO2. Like, are you kidding me? I'm like, what's going on here? He's like, yeah, it takes it. It's good to be a veteran, boys. Good to be a veteran. And then he goes, and then the next day we go on the ice and he's cracking open a new set of skates right out of the box. Like right out of the box into the first day of training camp. I'm like, what is going on right now? Like, this is crazy. Like this guy just, just a legend. Uh, but those are kind of the, and just how nervous and exciting, exciting, exciting it was to go to your first training camp, seeing guys that you just, you know, admired and loved to watch. Um, You know, Matt Sundin and Doug Gilmore and all these guys that were, um, just legends of the game and you wanted to be like them and um, and then just realizing they're just like one of us man like just good solid down-to-earth guys yeah yeah and that takes a while sometimes to figure that out um, yeah. I know for me it did and and maybe that was a little bit of a blessing for you it was like being kind of a you know a pro for a while before you had that big opportunity because I'm sure you felt more comfortable as a player more comfortable as a man uh, you know, in all those scenarios to set, step in there and not really be in awe of who's around you. Honestly, Jay, you hit the nail on the head. I think the biggest, that's the biggest thing for, for young guys coming into the league is just to make sure that you have to have that, not cockiness, but you have to be confident in yourself and your abilities. And you have to be able to understand that these guys are, you know, they're putting their pants on one leg at a time like you are. Um, 
they're just just the same as you are. And you just got to go in there and do your thing and become comfortable there. The more, uh, you know, the quicker you can get accustomed to, to that life and to making sure that you know you belong and you're comfortable and you're confident in your abilities, the, the better and the, the easier it'll be for you to stay for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. And like I said, that's kind of easier, sometimes easier said than done, right? Oh, no question. Yeah. Uh, Cause I can relate to that. I mean, I, I felt person on a personal level, I felt like I was kind of that borderline swagger sort of cocky, but then when it got to like my time in that dressing room, you know, at the NHL level, it was like, Oh shit. Now what? Right. You know, it, it, it's like, it's a different, it's a different game, you know? You, so can't, you can't kind of fake your way through the confidence. Like you, you, right. you truly have to believe um, in, in yourself and you have to, and you, you kind of don't, you can't care too much about what other people are thinking of you. You know, as hard as that is, I mean, you kind of have to just do your thing. Um, those guys are all there to, to do a job and to have a, and to build a career you have to take that same approach as do I'm going to do my thing here. And, and you're right. Like it's, 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 it's really tough to do when you're in that, when you're, when you're in, when you're in the realm of the whole situation mm-hmm. um, and seeing those guys and becoming a little bit more comfortable than, than maybe you, you feel like it inside. Right. Well, let's go. So now you're in the rock, you, you got yeah. your wife there. You mean it's, it's a city and a town, I mean, first of all, I mean, what what do you remember of St. John's? Maybe we should go there before I before I tell everyone what I think it was like there. Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but I had like one of like probably the best place that we could possibly have to play our first years of pro hockey. Um, Basically, a small NHL city. Like they love their Leafs. Um, They support us with with tremendous amount of support. the organization was amazing. The fan support was just incredible. Um, they made you feel like home. Um, there's not a more friendly people on this planet, I'm sure, than Newfoundlanders. And, um, you know, when my wife and I went there, we became uh, a big part of the community, a big part of um, a lot of different families that that really didn't have anything to do with the hockey team. I know you and I uh, became pretty close with the Rostovskis and how friendly and, and um hospital they hospitable they were with us mm. having us over for for sunday dinners and um just making us feel like um like we're part of the part of their family and um, and that was just one of many that that kind of put themselves out there for us to kind of be uh part of their family and so we had no nothing but great things we still stay in touch with the Rostovskis and some people from back in the rock um my wife and i both cannot say enough great things about it for sure yeah we I, i've i've kind of sang the praises there i always say i mean especially for me being out cool well you, you're a westerner too right that yeah geez you, i mean western people from western canada need to go out there uh, because yeah. it's you know it is so darn far but it's just such an amazing experience and um we we've we've i've talked about it on the show before so i'm glad you had the same same opinion. And those people, like the people just were, they made you feel comfortable. Right. And they also like to have a good time and they were super friendly and where I was going to go with that. So, I mean, we're out there on the rock. Um, a lot of us being single, great mm-hmm. community just to go out and, you know, having a beer after lunch or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Right. This there's, there's yeah. people that want to talk and have a good time and they're fun, loving, free people. Yeah. Um, and I just remember though, like you, like you said, and why, why I thought of that was because, when you know Sean Thornton and myself and you know DJ Smith or Bird Dog or whoever is like going yeah. to that lunch. I mean, you were you were not 
often there. You I mean you were kind of doing your thing even back when I was there. I think that you had a little different level of I don't know what it was like commitment whether that wasn't your thing but it was you and you end up having the sea on your chest we'll get to that but I, I think there was a little bit different level of of uh what you thought was important or, or how you were going to be your best player maybe you can talk about that mm-hmm. yeah so i mean like like you said jay it was a, a, a great place to go have a good time like there's not a day in that city that you couldn't go out and find a place where you could have a ton of fun and and I and I did as much as much not as much as, as as you guys did, but I still went out and had a good time. But I knew, for me, um, the discipline that I needed to get to the next level. Um, I thought, you know, for the most part, I needed to kind of stay clear of that. Um, as as much fun as that place can be, it could. I think it. I think it probably wrecked some careers. Some guys that maybe had some real. Um, some real talent, some real ability, and then got away from home for the first time and went to St. John's and didn't know when to slam on the brakes and know when to say when or when to, you know, to stay in or um, when to cut to cut it uh, to cut it off. So yeah. I want to make sure that I wasn't one of those ones that, that kind of let it get away from me. And uh, let's be honest, like um, having my wife there earlier in, the, in my life probably helped me out in that situation. Um, but again, like I still, we still had a great time. We, I mean, she would come out with us as much as anybody and enjoy the lifestyle that we had there with her before we had kids. So, um, you know, again, that's something that we, we share together here at home. It's just memories that we would have when we would go out and, and the single guys would come in and it'd be just be one big happy group, you know, hanging out in the bar. And, um, some guys had their girls, some guys didn't, but it was still, um, you know, our team and that was the bottom line is that we were together as a team and we trusted and had a lot of faith in each other. And for the first time for a lot of us, uh, you know, far away from home together and we became close as a family because of that. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Everyone comes at it from a different place. Um, when, as far as you as a player now, so, I mean, your first year pro you're like you said, you, you were just trying to stay in the A, took advantage of an opportunity with a couple injuries. When do you feel that, you mean, your development or even your, your idea of where you fit in was now like, all right, now I want to, I want to go somewhere else. You know, like I, I, I'm, I'm shooting for the NHL. When, when did that, do you remember that as being a specific point for you when that started to change? It it was tough for me because, um, you know, it's a bit of a roller coaster of emotions for me as the years went on there, Jay. Because um, as being a young captain of an of an AHL team, um, I, I I feel like I kind of got pigeonholed a little bit as being a guy that could help some of the younger draft picks that were coming in year after year. Um, you know, know how to behave like a pro and handle the pro situation. Um, I got some opportunities with Toronto. Um, I only played fifty six games, but the times when I went up there. I thought I played really well and was probably did enough to earn my place there. But, um, you know, they always really liked their, their older veteran guys or guys that they, they, they didn't really develop a whole lot of guys for their up for their, for their system there. I don't believe uh, at, at that time, at that time of, uh, of the organization's, you know, time, they weren't really developing a lot of guys in the minors to bring up. They were making their push a couple times for some playoffs and they really tried to add from other organizations a little bit. And so I think for, for me and you, like, that's probably why, I mean, guys like you or guys like me or guys like, um, you know, DJ had to go to other places to kind of get their opportunities because we just weren't getting uh, 
the opportunity that, uh, you know, I thought we deserved that when we were putting our time there. So, um, you know, there's obviously some roller coasters. So there's times where you think, oh man, I really belong here. I deserve to be here. I can play here. And then you go back, they send you back down. And then you, of course you're, you're down. And now you're thinking, I don't belong and I don't, I'm not good enough. And um, really what it comes down to is just an opportunity. And uh, I knew from that point, like after spending a few years as the captain there, I thought, well, I can either do one of two things. I can either continue to, you know, do what I'm doing here. Um, be that good veteran guy down here uh, and, and continue to do play that role or else get the heck out and try to make my way. So whenever, when the next time I became a free agent, I make sure that I just moved on. Yeah. Interesting. Because there, being a captain in the, in the minors is, is anywhere is, is something to be massively proud of, you know, because somebody is respecting you enough to be the leader of a team. But there is that other side of it was because, like, you don't want to be usually the captain was somebody that's like, oh, he's been there, he's going to be there, he, you know, he's no. not going anywhere else. There's almost like that kind of attitude about it. Um, so did you did you feel that at all, or like how was that captaincy given to you? Like, what, what was what was the what was the how was that communicated? Uh, well, I remember, do you remember Bill Waters? He was the, um, the, I think he was the assistant GM in Toronto, but really was taking care of our team um, for the most part. I think he was probably the general manager of the St. John's Leafs at the time. And I think it was my third year in St. John's. I, so at the time I was only 22 and, um, you know, they approached me as uh, when I got sent down and said, we're sending you down. I was one of the last guys to be sent down, but we really want you to be the captain down there. And of course, as a 22 year old, you're, God, that this is a huge honor, and I don't care how old you are, it's a huge honor to be a captain of any team. And of course, I accepted the the role, and um, to to be able to have that role, and to be able to to be, you know, involved in a lot of conversations with the coaches, and um, making sure that the coaches were sure and understanding how the team felt. Um, that was a big responsibility for me, and something that I took fairly, you know, very seriously, and something that I really enjoyed doing. But again with that responsibility comes the fact that, you know, uh, kind of a, something that I didn't think about till later was that, you know, maybe they want me here a little longer than I want to be here, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, the opportunities that I did come, that I did have to go up and play um, as nice as that was, I wanted to go there and stay. Uh, and that wasn't something that, um, that they had in their mind, uh, you know, really at all. So, a little disappointing, of course, but uh, again, with all of our, you know, the routes that we go through and the experiences that we have, um, people ask me, and I said, you know, I wouldn't change anything, you know, no matter what what becomes of anything, you know, the experiences that we have going through all this stuff is something that builds us as humans, so it's good. No, I agree. Yeah, I mean, the path is the path, right? And everyone yeah. comes at it a different way. Um, I just want to, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. The, the one downside I'd say of, of being in St. John's was that you were isolated. You mean yeah. that they were, they weren't watching us. This was before video too, right? Like there wasn't like you could hop on the internet and just see our game all the time. So it was like phone calls as far as checking in the, the brass never came very often. I don't think there was ever a scout from another team in St. John's. So yeah. you're really getting half the exposure. Everyone else was in the entire league, not to mention when we were on the road, 
and not to have a cry fest. But I mean, we're on the road for three weeks playing four games and five nights almost every single time, right? Our so road like, trips were ridiculous. Right. So when guys are watching you, I mean, you're not at your best. You're trying to be, but I mean, but you're just not, right? You're trying you're to play the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with the Sunday afternoon game, traveling in between <laughs> every single one, right? So, so I mean, as far as from for NHL aspirations and vision like that, it wasn't the best, I, I don't think. And and you touched on that whole development side. I mean, I think they've changed now having the Marlies in Toronto obviously helps that your proximity to the big team helps us being so far away. We, we just didn't feel really connected. At least I didn't feel connected to the big team at all. We felt as though we were our own team and our own, our own organization, even with the organization, even with like Glenn Stanford and those guys that were, that were, that were kind of the, 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 the administrators behind the organization. They, those were, that, that was our club. And it became really tough to kind of identify yourself as part of the Toronto Maple Leaf organization. You're right, Jason, just being so far away and uh, and not really having too many people check in on us, right? Yeah. And and you mentioned about the development side. Like, we had some good players there, you know, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And and it was kind of just odd. I mean, like, they had Danny Markoff who went up, but I don't – I wouldn't consider they developed him. You know what I mean? Like, and they had um, – uh, Caberlet that went up like from the deep D side, obviously an unbelievable NHL player. But again, he was there for a cup of coffee with us and kind of went straight. Yeah, straight I think he played NHL. maybe five or six games with us before right. he went up. They were notorious at the time. Like, I mean, Brendan Convery, for instance, couldn't make it. You know, like there was, they, they had quite a few first rounders that, that they couldn't bring up. Um, that one year that I got traded there, the year I scored 42 with St. John's, like they right. weren't, they weren't a, they were not a playoff team in Toronto that year, right? Like no. they were, they were, ho-hum and like none of us were getting like any type of real shake and it was just kind of interesting the way they their philosophy on the whole thing yeah i think they, i think you, the, the the word you use are their philosophy now is much more is much different than it was back then jay like um they, they really wanted their their premier guy like even if it was a has-been from another from another team that kind of had a name they'd rather have him come up or trade for him than call jason Pallone or nathan Dempsey. Mm. um we're giving us an opportunity to develop and to, to kind of develop us from, from, from young guys and make our way to that team, which um, I think you see the, the Toronto Maple Leaf team of now, they really do a be- way better job of developing their players. Um, again, you, you know, with what you mentioned with the Toronto Marlies being right there, maybe a better opportunity for them to keep an eye on these guys and to see uh, how they're developing and see some of the, the good things that they're doing in the minor league team. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think that they're, they're kind of forced every team in the NHL right now, because you need those guys in the minors to be able to fill spots just because of the salary cap scenario. Totally. You know, I, I think Toronto was a little bit spoiled and they still are. You I mean, the very, very popular team, lots of money. Uh, it wasn't necessarily to their advantage to bring someone up on a small contract. The money wasn't that big of an issue, right? So no. go sign a free agent guy or whatever and bring somebody in. So, yeah, I think that being a young guy now in the league is definitely easier. You have to have those, um, I shouldn't say easier, but it's easier to get that opportunity. I do believe right. that it is easier because they need you there. You know, everyone needs somebody like that to show up and, and to fill a spot. Um, but uh, so let, let's get back. So you, you have your, I mean, you have a couple of times you said you, you get called up. I mean, I think the big season there was you had the 25 games and let's just kind of get, you had 25 games in Toronto, having a good season in, in St. John's. 
um, 25 games is almost half a season. How did how did that how did that happen? Because then the next year you go and have a career year in the minors, and then you essentially never come come back to the minors. Um, so yeah, how, how did that how did that 25 games happen? Was it an injury? Was it just a call yeah. up or what? Yeah, no, it was an it was an injury that I that it was actually um what was the D man's name uh, Yuskevich? Oh yeah, I think it was that 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 was in Toronto that went down for a period of time. And I went in and uh, and played really well, like uh, you know, like you said, 25 games and was playing uh, lots of minutes. And um, the funny story about that is actually um, at the time, Dave Manson was my partner in Toronto, which was another Western Western Hockey League guy, really tough guy, uh, really good defenseman. When they actually did send me down after that, uh, Dave Manson and Gary Roberts actually went into the GM's office, into Pat Quinn's office, and and said. Like, what are you doing? This kid's come in. He's kind of made himself a mark. He's uh, He's been a real asset to our team. Like, we can keep this kid around. And uh, and Pat, uh, you know, God bless him. Um, rest in peace. Um, didn't believe that I could play. Um, this is basically what uh, what he told me to my face as well, is that, uh, listen, man, we, we love your energy. We love the way. But he really liked his big kind of strong stay-at-home D-man. And, um, I mean, he was honest with me, no question. But obviously, after that time, um, we mentioned uh, maybe light bulb went off after you hear something, you know, brutally honest like that. Is that you know I need to get out of here and find a find a a, a place to go that will appreciate the kind of player I am. Right. Yeah. And yeah. What a we want. I've had a few coaches here on on the on the podcast, and and one of them, Brad Larson, was saying, you know what. He's like, in this day and age, like we have to have questions for our answers for our athletes. Like when they come yeah. in, when our players come in, but he's like, when those players come in, they better be ready for an answer because they're going to get one, you know, and sometimes it's not the answer they want to hear. And not that you went in there and, and said something like, that's unbelievable. A couple of NHLers went there on your behalf, but yeah. you know, hearing that, um, you know, you mentioned that maybe you felt you need another opportunity. Was there anything there that like dri- drove you even more to be like, well, or I have to improve this or I have to improve that? Like, was there any type of that takeaway? Yeah. So I think what, what maybe not so much that conversation, Jay, but what I'd been learning to that point was that you, I was quite good at everything. I killed penalties. I played power play. I played, you know, I was fairly good at everything, but I wasn't really, really good at one thing. And so, I think that's something that a lot of players have to figure out is that, you know, sometimes you have to have that thing that, that kind of separates you from everybody else. That makes you really, really good at one specific thing. Um, So after that conversation, you know, I'm like, okay, like, I know I'm going to try to put up big numbers. I'm going to try to make sure that I'm like concentrating a lot on moving pucks and jumping up in the play. I knew I could skate really well. And so, I wanted to become a really, really good offensive defenseman and see if that helped me out. Um, you know, up until that point, you're just trying to do what's best for the team, but then inevitably you have to start thinking about what's best for you. So what's best for me to make it to the next level? Well, I have to become really, really good at one thing. Yeah. And so that's what it kind of concentrated on one thing that I knew I could, um, that I was comfortable being like being that type of player and I knew I could do, it, but then you just kind of put more of your focus into that and make sure you're taking care of that part of it. Right. I mean, that's interesting that you say that because I was, I was actually going to say that, but I didn't want to like say something out of school because like, that's yeah. exactly how I remembered you just being good at everything, you know, yeah. and, 
and being a being a well, let's let's say undersized defenseman back in yeah. the, in the nineties yeah. where everyone was big, right? Like yeah. really big. So either you were a big kind of stay at home guy that would punish physically and be, you know, we'd be that kind of guy, or you were a really fast puck moving guy that was all over the place. And like you said, you were penalty killer. You could play the PK, you could move the puck. Um, you definitely played well, you, it well on your own end, but you wouldn't punish guys. I mean, you weren't a big fighter um, and you weren't flashy. I mean, like you weren't, you know, like you, you weren't, you weren't uh, a real flashy offensive guy. So like, yeah, I think that was, it's hard for somebody maybe like to say, well, what actually is Nathan Dempsey, you know, at the right. NHL level, like yeah. what, where does he fit in? And, um, and that was an interesting thing for you to kind of grow into that and, and find that evolution for yourself, right? This is what I'm going to do to get myself to that next spot. And I mean, that's a, that's a pretty mature thing that not everybody's able to do. No. And I get, you know, you look, you look back on, you're like, man, why didn't I figure that out earlier? But of course, you know, hindsight's always really easy to kind of figure out, but, um, it, it it's a it's a little bit and for for somebody like me who's a captain and you know kind of doing whatever it takes for the team it it, it has a you have that feeling of being a little bit selfish right yeah. which it is i mean you're you're basically kind of just saying well whatever the team needs is not really important it's what it, i gotta make sure i'm doing what i need to do to make it to the next level and so um it kind of goes uh, against what most of us hockey players are are built like is just being so unselfish and doing whatever a team takes for the team to win um you know there's no question you still you still go out there and do that but in the back of your mind you're saying how do i you know how do i make myself known to more people to that i'm this type of player yeah well then i concentrate on doing more of that right you had tom watt you had mark hunter al mcadam lou crawford um i shared i shared mark hunter and al mcadam with you uh you're that breakout year where you consciously chose to say, Hey, you know what? I want to be more offensive. You were under Lou at that point who I didn't know was, was he pretty instrumental for you or, or a big, you know, a big piece of, of allowing you to do that and, and grow into that role. The biggest part for Lou is that we had a good communication set and that, and I told him, I said, listen, I, this is the type of player that I'm going to be. Um, I was still the captain at that time. Um, although I was sharing that role a little bit more now with Bobby House, um, which kind of took a little bit of the pressure off me. Um, and Lou was awesome. He was like, you know, like if that's what you feel like you got to do, and you know, I want you to make sure you're still buying into what I'm preaching as far as the team aspect goes, which there was no problem with that. But he understood that um, I wanted to make that next step. And this is what I truly believe that I had to do. So um, as far as the things he did, to help me with that. The only thing he really did to help me with that was just understand that that's how I, that's what I needed and allowed me to kind of go ahead and do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that's all we need too. Oh, totally. I remember, I remember Al uh, was a very quiet guy and yeah. uh, he said, I, I don't know. There's interesting when I think of Al McAdam, I just, I mean, there's, there's, there's some good things. There's some, there's some interesting things like that. Um, interesting is a good word for him. Yeah, because he didn't really know where you stood. At least I didn't. You know, I mean, yeah. it's it seemed like it seemed like he liked me sometimes, and other times, like I wouldn't get any ice time. I wasn't sure why. And I've told uh, I don't know if you ever knew this at the time, but there was a time there, and it was it was that season where I was we were actually playing. Our team was playing well. Uh, I was producing real well, and and then there was a time for about I don't know, let's call it a month, where I had a really hard time getting on the ice with him. Like I, I, all of a sudden, I wasn't playing power play anymore, and if we needed a goal at the end of the game, I wouldn't be on, I wouldn't be on the ice. And, and he was a thoughtful guy. And I mean, and I, I thought of myself as a thoughtful, pretty pensive guy. And I'm like, how do I, 
like, how do I communicate, you know, this to, yeah. to Al, right? Like, yeah. I don't understand. He's not talking to me. Like, I feel like you, you mentioned like the team, right? Like, I, I honestly felt that the team had a better chance to score that goal if I was in the ice than if I wasn't on the ice. So it's like, you I mean, it's not, it's not benefiting me. It's not benefiting the team. Like, so I wrote this like super nervous, you know, 22 year old kid, like wrote this letter to him, right? Because I was like, he's not a real office guy. And I handed him this yeah. letter. He got back to me the next day and never said a word, just handed it back to me. And he circled every time I used the pronoun I, um, and, uh, which was an Al thing to do. And you mean, totally. and maybe I mean, I said totally that before, like, I guess, I mean, that was the issue. I guess he thought that I was selfish, right? Was the letter, was the message I got, uh, from that. Maybe he was right. I, I have no idea, but it sure, like, that's my memory of Al McAdam, right? It's like, yeah. okay, I mean, this is this is how we're going to talk, and this is where I sit. But yeah. um, coaches can have a pretty big impact one way or the other. You I mean, and all you really want today is to stand on the ice and play. You know, that's all anyone wants. And if you get that opportunity, I think we can say thank you and just go about our business. Well, and that's just it. Like, your, you know, your your uh, feelings about Al are different. My, Al and I were all, like, he put me on the ice all the time. I played tons under him. Um, Again, his communication skills are always a little bit limited as far as is like how direct of a, like I always liked somebody that was very direct, like would communicate to you in less than uh, 30 seconds exactly what he wants from you, right? I think everybody wants that. Whether it's good or bad, you kind of want that direct kind of a communication set. And I was a very, like you mentioned, a very thoughtful person. Uh, but at the very end of things, you know, I played, I played a lot and that's kind of, you know, you just kind of keep your mouth shut if that's happening, right? Yeah, so I can understand where that comes from with you. Just going to take a quick break here from the episode to say thank you for all those who are listening and also all of you who have reviewed, who have shared on personal media, who have decided to talk about something you heard in the episode with somebody else and, and have them uh, download and subscribe themselves and help grow this thing because that is what it's all about is about more people being able to hear the content again this is entertaining in a way but it's not about entertainment it's about personal growth it's about understanding what it takes to become a better human what it takes to become a better hockey player to make our dreams come true and and hopefully we can have a few laughs along the way and and for you guys to share your experiences here is is really pivotal uh, pivotal in the growth of, of the podcast and i just want to thank um another review that came in this week i just picked a short and simple one it's by josh swa1212 and uh he or she says some high caliber guests and a great host love tuning into the weekly up my hockey podcast and guys that's all it takes for me and that's all i'm asking is just a quick a quick review, a couple words, something something to share your support, um, and that really does help. It helps in the algorithms, it helps in the downloads, and it helps uh, elevate this in the in the search engine. So once again, I really appreciate you guys for listening, for tuning in, for choosing to spend time with me and my guests here, and uh, I'll take you back to the episode with Nathan Dempsey. Thanks for sharing. Before we get into that big year in St. John's and then moving on to Chicago, we got to touch on, uh, we got to touch on bird dog, you know, God rest his soul too. He was just such a, uh, really an absolute legend of, you know, minor pro, I mean, of AHL hockey. I mean, he definitely had a lot of games in the NHL, but then his time in St. John's, he was just this, such, uh, a figure, such a, such a character in the room and everyone has their bird dog story. And I think we, we should get one from you because you, you played with them even longer than I did. What's your favorite bird dog story? Oh my God. Like 
Jay, like we don't have enough time in this podcast to kind of, like you said, just kind of get through them all, right? Um, all I, I have one short one. One, one I just love the fact that, like, I think if he's got to be the only guy in in hockey history that denied a call up. <laughs> are you aware of that? Do you remember that? I think Tom it was before the call up at the end of the season, and yeah. he's like, "Nope, I'm good." Like, <laughs> just turned like he just turned down a call up to the big show. He's like, no, I'm not going up there to fight for those guys. Forget that. I got my boys down here. I'm going to stay right here. So that's uh, that's the kind of team guy Bird Dog was. That kind of, you know, he was such a um, such a team first guy. He would kind of do whatever it took to, for the team. Um, but obviously, the, one of the memories that I have of Bird is uh, in Portland at a at a at a Japanese restaurant. Um, he at the t- at the time I don't know I think he might have been gone at the time but he had taken on a, an assistant coaching role with a kind of a player coaching role with our team, and at the time David Nemirovsky and Jason Bond Senior had just got sent down to uh, to our team from Toronto, and uh, they were making way more money than all of us. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and so one afternoon on a day off, you know, you you head to the Japanese restaurant. We're sitting around the big hibachi grill, and we're we're sucking back some sake and we're you know, you know, Bird's probably sucking back five to one of ours, so he's feeling no pain. And um, the at the end of the meal, the bill comes and Bird goes, "Give it to those guys down there." <laughs> to, to Nemirovsky and Bond Senior. And uh, at, during the meal, I should preface this by saying, during the meal, there had been some bantering back and forth, but from Bird just you know saying how these guys are, you know, you you guys are making the most. You guys got to perform better. You guys got to play. So there was a little bit of that. Uh, I would have said friendly banter but it was pretty dead honest banter to be completely honest with you yeah but he sent the bill over and uh bond senior in not so many words told him to go half himself and i never saw bird move so fast he jumped on top of the hibachi grill which was still steaming <laughs> he jumped over the hibachi grill bond senior and demoroski run out the door and hide behind a garbage can and bird dogs running down the street chasing after these guys <laughs> like just a legend the the tough part about that was that of course you know the the Toronto Maple Leafs hear about this and and uh, that was kind of the end of the Bird's uh, coaching gig with us but but uh, just a just a legend and there's just so many more of those that kind of go along with oh it. Oh my gosh! Like beyond old school, right? Like oh, beyond. Bird was so old school; it was unbelievable. And yeah, yeah, he would. Uh, yeah, and that was the kind of guy. Like even in practice, I mean, I heard Aaron Brand on a podcast with Terry Ryan and. You know, they were talking about him. Mean, he's just somebody that you you just never knew really at any point what what you're going to get. You know, yeah. like the the switch could flip and bingo bango. You better watch out. And you could have been his best friend for two months straight, but you never know. Yeah. One one funny story I'll say, I'll uh, say is well, Danny Markoff was his roommate, right? So That's like right. For Danny Markoff, uh, so Bird takes Danny under his wing and has him living with him. And you know, I don't think Danny needed <laughs> what any. What a wing to be under. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure Danny needed any inspiration to have to have extra cocktails every now and again. And, uh, and so he's living with Bird and I was with him on the road. So I'm going to get Danny on here. Actually, we're, we're, we've been following oh, each other awesome. on social media. He's going to be uh, uh, he says he's going to come on the on the podcast once he gets back to North America. But um, and we'll cover it there, too. But he, we were in New Haven when he got called up his first ever call up. So he was down there and and he played in the minors for all you listening who remember Danny, like the exact same way he played in the NHL. Like he was just reckless. You I mean, I don't know any other word for it, right? He throws a disregard for his own body. 
Yeah, complete disregard, right? And and just kept coming back for more. And somehow he could like lay those open ice hits to these big yeah. guys and put them out at 180 pounds or whatever he was. And yeah, but he got called up. We were in New Haven. We went up for a couple of beers after the game. Like I was home like well before Danny, who's playing the next day in Toronto, right? And like <laughs> when I left, I was like, Danny, I mean, you got, you know, like he was speaking the broken English at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyways, he didn't, he had, well, had no business in coming back to the room. He got in whenever he got in. Like I was asleep forever. But the best part was he he didn't have his skates. So he gets, because, because, because something happened, they went there. He didn't know where his skates were. He was supposed to pack his own equipment. He didn't have his skates. So he had to get brand new skates in Toronto for pregame skate. Oh, and the way he uh, he wore his skates to break them in was he never did them up. So here's this like this 180-pound Russian who barely speaks English with brand new skates that he doesn't do up, smelling like vodka, I'm sure. And like <laughs> and he never he never came back to the minors. I mean, that's the part that just blows me away, right? It's like some of these guys, it's like just live under a different moon, I think. And uh, anyway, yeah. that's Danny was an unbelievable guy and an awesome teammate. But really good him. teammate, really good guy. And again, just played with reckless, reckless abandon for himself. No question. Yeah. That's the way he lived, right? He lived yeah. and played the exact same. Hard the whole way, on and off the ice, he lived it hard. Yeah. Um, okay, so you go. You have a career year now, points wise. Your your commitment to yourself obviously paid off. I mean, you had 13 goals and 61 points in 75 games. It's a tough league to get points in as a D man. Uh, and he only got three games that year in, in Toronto. So it, it essentially solidified for you, I'm sure, that, you know what, this isn't this isn't where I need to be, um, and your contract was done. So yeah, exactly. walk, me, walk me through that. Like, did, was, there any t- was there any chance at all you were going to resign with Toronto? Or were you Not a chance. No, there's no chance. So that whole year, Jay, I mean, you know, you mentioned the numbers, and I, we talked about the commitment that I made to kind of putting more numbers up. That was a... That was a selfish year for me. You know, that, that was it. This was going to be me. I was going to be a free agent. If I, was, if I was going to make a move to somewhere else, this is the time that I needed to do it. So I put every, all my effort into putting up numbers. Um, again, just jumping up and playing hard on the on the offensive side. Maybe <laughs> maybe uh, uh, risk or uh, kind of sacrificing my D zone a little bit more than I probably did in the past. Um, but I put up big numbers. And again, the fact that I didn't get a call up just kind of solidified the fact that it was time for me to make a move. Now, in hindsight, you know, after that year, the best part about that year was the fact that I got to go be a black ace in Toronto and ended up getting six games played in the playoffs that year, which for a free agent going on to somewhere else was was great. You know, to play three games against Ottawa and three games against Carolina in the playoffs. Definitely got my name out there. Definitely got my... uh, my abilities noticed and I was able to sign with Chicago that next year. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, in playoff hockey, that's, uh, that must yeah. have been lights out for you. Like it's a completely different experience. Yeah. It was, wouldn't have I mean, Toronto say what you want about it, but it's an absolute me, me. It's just a gong show during the playoffs. <laughs> like, you know, to be in that situation, to be in that atmosphere at that time um, was an amazing thing for us. Um, you know, myself, Don McLean, couple other Jeff Farkas got the opportunity to play a couple games. Um, it was awesome. It was an awesome experience for us. And, you know, just to be kind of in that midst of that thing was just a, was a great experience for all of us. And that was under Pat Quinn too. So uh, yeah. being sent down the year before saying you can't play or you're not ready or whatever. And then for him to choose to put you in the lineup is, is kind of interesting in and of itself. Yeah. I did, he, to be, he didn't have much choice. Like, 
Uh, they got hit with a whole bunch of injuries during the playoffs, like all teams do. And oh. so the opportunity was there for me. But then it was up to me to kind of perform. So, I mean, I played well. I had some opportunities, got a couple points, um, um, played pre- played a pretty good role there. Uh, but, again, just the, the whole time kind of thinking, you know, well, hopefully this will help me next year. Right. No, perfect. You know? And so that contract then stepping into free agency – uh, and being a true free agent, correct? Like you were a true free agent. I was agent. unrestricted, yeah. So I had a couple of teams off. A couple of teams that were, um, that were offering kind of the same idea. So it wasn't a one-way, but the but the two-way contract that I signed with Chicago was a pretty significant pay in the American League. So without being a one-way, it was kind of a kind of a one-way and a half. Right. Uh, I was making some pretty good money in the American League. Uh, so I had a couple offers that were about the same. But to be honest, we talked about Al McAdam back uh, – when we were talking before, you know, fortunate enough for me, Al had just taken an assistant coaching job in Chicago at the time. And so that really helped solidify my, my thoughts on going there. Just knowing that I knew somebody who kind of, I mean, didn't have like, yeah, had my back and I knew I was going to get an opportunity. He was going to kind of put his neck out there a little bit more for me, knowing that he knew me as a person and knew me what kind of player I was. And honestly, that really helped me kind of going into that training camp. 100%. 100%. Like, I've talked about that so much on here, like how much that matters and, and how oh, much yeah. I honestly kind of on a personal level discounted it. And not that I was a, ever a jerk to my coaches at all, but I didn't, it wasn't something that I was like, you know, I mean, I, you should develop that relationship with your coach other than just trying to be on the ice and produce for him. Like, that was my error of like, you know what, if I, if I produce for these guys and for this team, like that's, that's my statement, you know, but I, I, I discounted the human aspect of that. And that's why I talk about that so much now is like guys got to trust you too, right. As a person, as a player and want to go, go to, go to bat for you. And uh, that's awesome that you chose to do that uh, consciously with having Al there in Chicago is probably a big part of you being able to stick around and play. Right. Totally. So, I mean, inevitably your play is going to help you stay there, but you know, the opportunity that you get is a huge part of that. So think about this. So you go to a place and you have a good, you're playing well, and then you have a bad game. Well, do you have somebody that's in your corner that said, no, you know, let's get this guy an extra shot or give this guy a little longer look. Do you have somebody like that that'll kind of go to, to, bat, to bat for you? You know, my whole career probably in Toronto, I didn't really have that person. So, I mean, it was really kind of insp- in, instrumental in me having my, you know, Al there at that time. Yeah. No, and you feel that as a player too. I, I uh, You know, like when you, when you, th- feel whether you're right or wrong that they're waiting for you to screw up as opposed to waiting for you to succeed you know like that's a way different envelope to be playing the game under right and when you have that guy that wants you to succeed knows there's going to be a few blips along the way but they're really invested in you and your success like that changes the way you can even go out there and and, and they keep chucking you on the ice no matter what you do they they know you're going to play your way out of it they've seen it they've seen you do it before in another form or another place um, so they have the confidence enough to do that. And then you show the confidence um, in yourself to kind of be out there and play yourself out of it. So it's a huge part. So talk about Chicago then. I mean, so you make that team out of camp. You have no, I mean, you have that good year in the minors and then you, you essentially you don't see the minors for a heck of a long time after that. I mean, what was yeah. that camp like for you and, and stepping in and, you know, earning an NHL job out of camp? Yeah. So, you know, I'm an older guy. I'm not older, but I'm 26 or 20, I think 27 at the time. Um, so, you know, you're a little bit more comfortable in yourself and your, um, in your, uh, your abilities, not only your abilities, but you're comfortable with the guys that are in the room. So I think I went into that training camp, just, um, assuming 
that I was going to make this team and that I was going to do it at Tuck and become really good with, uh, you know, the guys in the room and become really close with a lot of those guys. Um, and they were, it was a great dressing room, you know, so lots of young guys, lots of guys that uh, kind of battled their way up, I mean, maybe on another team that I played against. And so I knew a lot of the guys um, from other teams. So it was a comfortable place for, for, for me to be. It was a comfortable place for me to go and, and kind of play my game. And uh, that, that year was a, was a great learning year for me. I ended up playing, you know, probably 22, 23 minutes a night, which, wow. uh, which, which was huge. Uh, becoming a confident player, um, getting the, the trust. Brian Sutter is the head coach who is, uh, you know, one of those hard-nosed kind of old-school guys that uh, kind of knew what, it took, what he knew, what it took, what I needed to kind of get myself going. And uh, he wasn't afraid to kind of let me know. He was a funny story about Brian. I mean, he knew my background. He knew how much time I had spent in the minors. And so every morning when I go to get my coffee in the morning, Brian would make sure he stopped by and say, hey, Demmer, it's not that far to Norfolk, which Norfolk was their American Hockey League team. So he knew that I wanted didn't want to go back to the American League, and he knew that maybe the little reminder every once in a while would help me. <laughs> oh my gosh that's so old school too right like that's, oh, yeah. that's, that's classic um now, let's talk about that mindset though you said i had i had the mindset that i was going to make that team you yeah. know that this this is almost like you made that decision how did you go about that like getting to that place where you're like this this is my time like this i'm making this team yeah i think so for me it was a little bit of that swagger jay like I just went into the dressing room just knowing that I was going to be the guy. Um, whether or not I was or not, I believed that I could be and that I wanted to be. So I would, you know, making sure that, like, for instance, I was going to be on the power play. Um, if, if, if my name wasn't up on the board on the power play, I thought I'd go to the power play meeting anyway. Like, I just knew that's where I should be. And so I just believed in myself. I knew that, that, that I was going to be able to be there. And uh, just made it kind of known to myself and everybody else that I believe that I deserve to be here. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. Just show up. Go to the power yeah. play. Meeting. Go there anyway, you want to you want to play on the power play? Just go there and do it anyway. So <laughs> that's so great. That's so great. Um, was camp tough? Like, was it was it tooth and nail? Did you did you did you end up like feeling pretty comfortable that you had a spot or how'd that go? Pretty pretty comfortable. So like, um, there was another young guy, Steve McCarthy, who is a young. Uh, they're one of their young uh, first round picks. Um, he actually made the team as well coming out of that training camp. Uh, he was only 18 years old. So I knew between him and I, um, one of us was definitely going to be there. And I knew I had the upper hand on him as he was being so young. But we ended up both making it, which was great for both of us. Um, and then just kind of went off from there, like just playing lots of minutes. And, and again, Early on in that year, just identifying and, and and the coaches were awesome with me, just saying that you're a big part of this. We want you to be, be play a big role and can continue to do what you're doing. That's so cool. Yeah. What was um? So you're you're in the show, man. Like you're playing. Yeah. You got 67 games. Was was did you miss some because of injury or were you healthy? Yeah. One of my several concussion issues. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, had the two years there. Uh, any any big highlights from Chicago that that uh, we should get in before we move on to LA? Uh, well, it was a very interesting team at a time there. So, just to put this in perspective, we had Bob Probert, Theo Fleury, Alex Jamnoff, Mark Bell, 
all these players that were in the program and the program being this, the substance abuse program. So we were uh, an interesting squad to say the least. So we, one day we went into, um, one day we went into Columbus and uh, was talking with their trainer and he's like, yeah. So last night the Habs were in town tonight. We got the rehabs talking about our team, which, you know, was, was funny to me, but when you look back on it, you're like, wow, there were some interesting characters on that squad. But again, nothing that was really in our face, but something that I knew we had some guys on our team that were dealing with some issues that um, was way above my pay grade for sure. Um, right. You know, looking back and, and again, just with Theo, um, you know, sometimes he gets a bad rap, but I'll tell you what, he is a great, great person. A tremendous human being and somebody that my wife and I both remember as being one of the first people that would come up and just ask how we were and always remembered the conversation that we last had. He knew my wife's name the first, you know, the first time, like genuinely cared about every single person he met. For That's, sure. awesome. That's so cool. Did you in that organization and, and you're now in the NHL, I mean, surrounded by, you know, some big names there and like guys maybe doing some other stuff Were you, were you like super vigilant and just staying in your own lane, kind of doing what you needed to do to, yeah. to stay there? Yeah, I mean, in the, for the most part, I mean, you know what it's like in that league. Everybody kind of stays on their own anyway, kind of taking care of their own business. Everybody's got their own families at home. When you go on the road, it's always a little bit better. You get to be a little bit more closer with the team, um, go for team dinners and you head out for beers and stuff after. But, yeah. um, you know, for the most part, you kind of just stay with your own program, making sure you're taking care of your business. And then again, just, you know, do it the, the relationships that you do build. You know, I held, I got a good relationship with um, Scotty Nickel and Jason Stroud, a couple guys that I stay in touch with still um, that are good, solid people. And um, that I see a lot to this day, Jason Stroud being from Edmonton right around here as well. So that's awesome. Yeah, those are some yeah. great names back from the yeah. WHL days and Scotty that's Nickel. Right. Yeah, you would have been some battles against those guys. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, yeah, man, so you go two solid years in the NHL um, at a time when a lot of guys aren't really making their, their, their first kind of stop, you know, I mean, you had some games, but like you mentioned Scotty Nichols, Scotty Nichols was almost the same scenario. 26 or 27 was when he first came in and then ended up sticking around for eight years. Um, you yourself, you ended up getting traded to LA, um, an organization that I was with. And I was looking at some of the teams you, you played there. I, I, I didn't connect the dots of whether I was down in uh, Lowell or not uh, during those years, but Brad Shartrand was there. Andy Murray was there. I went to a camp with that, with Andy Murray and, and we obviously had Shardy in, uh, in Toronto. Shardy actually uh, won my spot, which I thought was my spot in camp that one. Right, right, right. Um, which is interesting. What, what, I mean, there's something to be said for that. I haven't really brought that up here on this show, but like when we, when we were in St. John's together, so Brad Chartrand came in, he was a rookie. Um, kind of had his third line, fourth line sort of PK role. And then I got traded to LA. He's a free agent, signs with LA. That was a year I scored 43. And Brad Chartrand went, won the job out of camp um, over me in as a winger. You know, he played, he ended up playing wing. And that was one I just, I, I mean, and Shardy, I mean, if you're listening, I mean, he, we, we were buddies and still are buddies, right? And that's just the oh, nature of sure. the yeah, He had a history with Andy Murray from the Canadian yeah. national team. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and, and I just, I never, and I never got that job. And then Brad ended up playing, I mean, four years in the NHL, kind of being that guy. I was like, well, what actually is Shardy there? You know, like, and could I not do what Shardy's doing right now? Like, why, why or why not? You know, like, uh, and it probably quite an answer you probably will never have the quite the answer to, but just that relationship they had with Andy just kind of helped, right? 
Yeah. Well, the trust. I mean, I think really, yeah. I mean, like trust, right. that I was untrustworthy, but if you had a guy yeah. that was your captain on another team, right? The national oh, junior sure. team or national, uh, the national team, and he knew what he was going to get from Shardy and he respected him as a person and everything else. It's just like, it's an easier choice, right? It's, if, if it was, if there was sort of a coin flip type of scenario, if we thought, well, we were pretty close uh, in ability or whatever, he's like, why not go with the comfortable piece? So, I mean, I do understand that now. At 44, looking back at the time, I had a really hard time with it. Though I'm like, oh, oh, for sure, yeah. How does it work? Sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, so you were in LA, and then LA is when, you I mean, you had Robitaille there, who I knew. There was a lot of Jared Smithson, like was there. Uh, yeah. there. There's a lot of guys that I know that were there with you. Yeah. When did the shake and the Parkinson start to like that blows my mind that now you're there right and now you're having yeah. to deal with this after all this time to get there like when when did that start showing up yeah so bad timing right I mean you're you put all this effort in to get into the place where you want to be and then um it was in LA it was actually a tremor in my left hand that started so my daughter was born in Chicago so she would have been an infant when I was in LA and uh my wife first noticed it um, as I was trying to feed her. Like I just have a kind of a tremor. I'd kind of hit her in the nose sometimes with a spoon. Um, just not being able to quite handle it or quite control my hand. And so at first we kind of put it, pinned it up to kind of just some adrenaline or something that I was kind of strung, you know, high strung, maybe some of the pressures of playing, whatever the case might be. Um, so we kind of left it alone a little bit. Um, and that continued on through the lockout the next year. And then when I came back from the lockout, um, we went and saw my first neurologist and the, the, the neurologist at first just thought it was a benign tremor, which is a, it's a neurological disorder, but not something that's going to get too worse. It's something that kind of just stays the same and, and kind of just stays in the one arm and doesn't get any worse. So as, um, as we went through LA and then to Boston the next year, things started to get a little bit worse. Um, it started to work its way down on my leg. Um, you know, from Boston, I went to Providence. And at that time, Jay, you know, you, I just felt like um, my game, something was suffering in my game. There was things that I just wanted to do and was seemed to me to become quite easy for me to do. I just wasn't able to do them quite as well as I was before. And so, um, you know, without kind of realizing it, that's kind of when I first had my first symptoms of Parkinson's. That's unbelievable. I mean, hard yeah. enough to play hockey. Um, and we were so in tune with our bodies and everything else to, to get to that level. You and now you're dealing with something. It's, I mean, you can't control it, right? I mean, there's this and, and you couldn't really re connect the dots there on on what was, you know, like what was I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how to put that into words, right? Like, yeah, I, don't no, know I think for like. the most part, Jay, you're, you're kind of in denial a little bit, right? Like, we all, we all, like, I know for sure with me, like I, you know, you're on the internet all the time. You're kind of self-diagnosing yourself a little bit. And when you start checking off so many boxes, um, you start to get a little concerned. So before I was actually diagnosed, I kind of figured it, you know, I kind of figured it was something like that, but um, you know, I didn't really get fully diagnosed till 2010, which is the time when I came back, I was retired. Um, I came back from Europe in 2008 or 2009 and then uh and then started getting a lot just a lot more tests done just because i was on i wasn't playing i had the chance to see uh get into touch with a really good neurologist here at the movement disorder clinic in edmonton and could be able to get set up with the right tests and then you know before you know it um in 2010 just diagnosed and, and honestly when you're diagnosed with something like this 
like we kind of knew, you know, that that's what it was, but it's a little bit of relief because now you're just, okay, okay, I have to have this. I know I have it. Now, what do I do to combat it? What do I do to kind of make my life, you know, as normal as I can? So right. that's what we're doing now. That is wild, man. Like yeah. I, I saw your uh, Trish talk about you learning to do your, your signature while you were in LA, I think she said with the other yeah. hand, yeah. like it's something like you said, you're a bit in denial. Like did, did the team docs not know anything about this? Did you not, were you not sharing like that? I wasn't sharing as much as I probably should have, you know, Pods, it's like, you know, you, you know, last we kind of want to keep things to ourselves if it's going to affect our career. Yeah. And so I kind of kept everything on the down low, um, obviously until my career was done. Um, and then you start exploring it a little bit more openly. Right. Right. Yeah, man. Like I couldn't, like, again, I mean, that, that's just like, God, I got emotional thinking about it. Like just, you know, knowing, knowing how hard it is to get there and then to get there, you know, and doing it and doing your thing and what you, what you spend all this blood, sweat and tears doing. And now you're having to deal with this, whether it's conscious level, subconscious level, like this other thing, right. It's yeah. like, yeah. that could be hurting you. And then you started feeling it as a player, like, was was that, that was essentially then the like the demise i guess of of you yeah. and, and being a professional was that you just you couldn't compete anymore because this was affecting you too yeah much. so when i when we when we went over to switzerland um actually you know having the tremors there i kind of i didn't get a diagnosis there obviously but i kind of figured something was going on and then i had hip problems so i had to have hip surgery and that kind of took me down for for what would have been the end of my career at that time like i missed the rest of the season there um, came back, was rehabbing while I was rehabbing, was getting some tests done for my neurologist. And so, you know, at that time, when all those things kind of pick ahead at once, you're like, dude, is this really, you know, am I going to try to rehab to come back or am I just going to, you know, kind of quietly go out in the sunset? So, um, you know, seeing that all those kind of things happened at once, it was just a, that was that time my body was just telling me, man, you're, you're, you're done, right? Yeah. You got so much going on and you're done with this. So, um, you know, with that being said, you know, it just gave me a lot more of an opportunity to kind of make sure I was taking care of my health, making sure that I got diagnosed and making sure that I knew what I had to do to kind of continue to battle this. And what is that, Nathan? Like, what does that look like for you now and your family? And I know that you're involved with Vimy Ridge and I want to talk about that a little bit, a bit, cause yeah. you're, you're giving back to the, to the youth there and, and, and you're with your experience and your stories. What does, what does Parkinson's look like for you on a daily basis? So I know you mentioned that you watched the Sportsnet special on me that I had an interesting surgery. They put some implants into my brain. And then uh, as you can see in my chest, I have an implant that goes in that runs up to here into my brain. So it's been a, it's been a real blessing for me to have that. It's taken away a lot of the tremors in my one side. Uh, we're dealing with now my right side because of Parkinson's has now moved kind of over. So now we're dealing with a little bit of that side. Uh, making sure that my prescriptions, medications are kind of helping out with the lab as much as possible. But honestly, Jade, the most important part is for me is for staying active, staying healthy, eating right, um, like we all should anyway. But this gives you another reason to kind of make sure you're doing that. So what's really helping me is staying active, um, staying uh, you know, physical, physically active. The things that I want to continue to do, make sure I'm doing them a lot, which is being on the ice and helping kids. And so I make sure I do that and I stay active as, as active as I possibly can. Yeah. I mean, great. That's great motivation. hundred percent. Is there, is there anything from a neurological side um, and, and excuse my ignorance on Parkinson's, no. I'm, not, I'm not well versed in it at all. Uh, 
but as far as from like a brain training aspect, is there any like cross uh, cross hemisphere stuff that you can do to try and to try so and either of, decrease or increase the, yeah. the so a lot of things that we've been working on. Um, well, a lot of things that we've been like, I do a lot, a lot of games on my phone, actually, like some memory games, some card games, just kind of stuff that kind of, like you said, Jay, kind of gets your brain going. Um, you know, that's stuff that I enjoy anyway. So I play a lot of that kind of stuff and just making sure that I'm fresh that way. Um, but honestly, the stuff that's happening in my brain with Parkinson's, with the chemical dopamine that's being unable to be uh, produced, there's not a lot that can help that. So um, for the most part, the physical part of what's happening to my body, I want to make sure I'm combating that as much as I can. Gotcha. Gotcha. What, um, how, how has that played? Like, as far as you, you just being you, right? Like Nathan Dempsey, Nathan Dempsey was a hockey player, was a professional athlete for a long time. Like I know you would identified with that. Now yeah. this comes in. Was there, you mentioned the, 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 the diagnosis where that you were able to like label it and you were able to now address it and like, and kind of move on. Was it, was there any type of an internal battle struggle, you know, like with you to be like, this is now Nathan, like I'm now Nathan Huge. with Parkinson's. Huge. Huge. It's even when I got diagnosed, yeah, I didn't want to tell anybody. I just, this was something that call it denial, call it. I just didn't want anybody to know. Like I wanted to hide it as much as I can. Um, you know, not being able to say anything to anybody. Um, it took some time for me to come to the realization that this is actually happening. It's actually way easier on you if you tell people and, and people are understanding what you're going through. Like the worst thing for me is if I have a tremor like I do now, if you didn't know I had Parkinson's, you'd be like, oh, is everything okay? What's going on with this guy? But the fact of the matter is that you know, but at least now you know, okay, this is, that's kind of the the, the the what's happening with his body and you understand what's going on so for me to have people understand that to know that has really helped me kind of come to terms with it in my own life right mm -hmm. so no, the more information that people have and the more information that i can share you know helps me deal with my own symptoms as well and i think the connection and obviously i'm just speculating but like being a professional athlete and having having our your dexterity right and your physical awareness and all that stuff being so so like so paramount you know what i mean and, yeah. and now, like you it's say you know, you're up, the body, right? yeah like oh like i, I just uh, i mean I, I tons of empathy man like i i know that 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 must be like it must make you mad at a lot of occasions but it's you know it's how it's how you go about it and how you use it now and and it sounds like you're using it as almost like a platform and a way to connect almost like even more so and, and, and to bring some awareness to what this is and what it's all about. Yeah. So, you know, even with my school at Vimy, you know, I'm a, I'm a campus director. I take care of the hockey Academy at Vimy Ridge, uh, Vimy Ridge is uh, the hockey program. It's a, it's a, it's the biggest hockey program in Alberta as far as the skills of Academy goes. And so um, it really allows me to talk to my kids as far as I do a lot of stuff with, with resilience and try to overcome some things. So the nice part about this is that I can share my experiences with the kids. Um, you know, a lot of put things in the perspective a lot for them because a lot of the big things are a lot of things that are getting them down or keeping them from aspiring to bigger things um, aren't really big deals at all. So, you know, if you can kind of deal with things in the right way, or like you mentioned, um, kind of go about your business the right direction, make sure you're dealing with it the right way, then you can take yourself a long way. 
Oh, I think that's, uh, I'm so happy you, you, you talk about that. Like everything that I, everything that this podcast is about, everything that up my hockey is about and me working with, with young kids now, or not even young. I mean, some of them are, are, are older, but is, is that, is the mindset to me that's the mindset side it's the belief system it's the choice factors the decisions that we make that are so far beyond stick handling and power skating and you know how you set up a power play you know it's like that's the good stuff because that's the stuff that i think when i was listening to you i'm like oh my god nathan is such an awesome advocate and campaigner for this because that's how to be a proper human being and when you're a good human being you're going to be a better hockey player and and like that's the connection that I'm trying to make with these young guys is like my gosh you want to be a good hockey player work on your human skills man because it's a big it makes a big difference for you. So I you look back on what we've talked about here, Jay, and a lot of the things that I look back on my career, a lot of the things that got me to the level that I want to do had really nothing to do with my abilities. It had to do with how I thought about myself, my mental my mental uh, toughness, so be it, um, the abilities to kind of believe in yourself. So a lot of the stuff that you're preaching on your podcast and on and what you're doing with these kids is, you know, your your physical talents are going to get developed. I mean, I mean, I believe that that's something that you can probably do on your own. But if you have somebody, if you're practicing and you're on the ice a lot, you're going to get better. There's no question. But what's the what it comes down to it when you get to the point where we were at, where such a fine line of difference between the abilities, it becomes such a mental part. And become such a thinking part of the game that's going to get you to the next level. So that's what I really learned along the way is, um, you know, how can I mentally be comfortable with myself and frankly, just be frankly, mentally tougher than the guy beside me. That's so wild, man. Can you walk maybe the listeners through and me through? Because like I've been talking a lot with my clients lately about self-talk and For some people, it sounds fluffy. Um, I don't think it is at all. I, I think how we speak to ourselves is a huge thing and, and, and has a lot to do with confidence and how we, how we carry ourselves throughout the world and navigate the space that we're in. You, you spoke of it as a hockey player. I imagine your training, because I do think it's a skill, uh, by developing that as a hockey player, has must have served you very well now as somebody operating with, with Parkinson's. Uh, what what type of messages do you do you tell yourself, or what is some of the strategies you use to maintain that positivity about yourself? Yeah, so I mean, it's the like I understand how, how difficult it can be for for people to really talk to themselves and make sure they put themselves in the right frame of mind. But it's such a it's such it, it can become such a big part of your life. Is every day you're waking up just excited about what you're going to be doing that day. Um, excited about the things that are in front of you. Um, it's something that makes a tremendous amount of difference to you as a person. And it becomes, a, it really becomes infectious to people around you. So regardless if you're a young hockey player, or if you're not, I mean, how do you want to be known and how do you want people to be, you know, talking about you after is how you behave every day. And so when you wake up in the morning for me with Parkinson's, you know, it, it, I can wake up and be sorry for myself or I can be, I can wake up and say, Oh, you know, this sucks. And this is brutal, which I understand that it is. I do know that, but that's not the way I approach every day. I approach every day. Like what's next on my plate. I'm excited to have the opportunity, the opportunities to do that. And I take them and I try to do them the best I can. And when people see that, when people see that in me, then that inspires them to do the kind of the same. And then heaven forbid, you'd want to make the place of, you know, the people around you better people around you happier and it becomes something that becomes infectious 
Oh my God. You're yeah, so inspiring, man. Uh, one of the things I, I had on a gentleman by the name of Mike Shaw, who's not a hockey player, but he was a skier from my area and, and he, he was involved in a tragic accident where he was a quadriplegic essentially it ended up recovering one of the few to ever be able to do that and now he walks around and uh and speaks on it and and talks about gratitude and resilience and and it's just such a like the events that happen and we've talked about that a little bit to us you talked about the adversity and the challenges and this is something that you obviously never planned to happen, never expected to happen, wouldn't wish on anyone, I'm sure. But it, it, it's the meaning that we give it, right? And you, you, you said that already, you could get up every day and feel sorry for yourself and feel like a victim, um, yeah. you know, f- feel like this shouldn't be me or whatever the case may be. But you have every morning you wake up, you have that choice and you're making that choice to be inspiring to, to make the most out of that day. And, and Mike Shaw was saying the same thing that the that his that his injury, his spinal cord injury, was something he wouldn't wish on anyone. But it's almost, in some ways, get, been a gift to him um, because it enabled him to one inspire, two look at life a little bit differently, and be able to really impact others um, in a quite a profound ways. Do, do you, are you starting to see it potentially as as a bit of a gift? Uh, uh, yeah, as strange as that sounds, totally, Jay. I totally understand what 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 you're saying and what how Mike would 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 appreciate that. I mean, it's, I've been diagnosed for 10 years. And so, I mean, as long as that might sound, it's actually not really that long, but it's still taking me some time to kind of identify, okay, how is this affecting me? What can I do to make this uh, be, you know, as strange it might sound, a benefit to my life? And so it's something that you deal with every day. It's something that you try to convince yourself of every day. And, um, I definitely can see how Mike would say, like it's 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 just something that now that I can I can share it and help other people, um, you know, become a benefit for me in my life. Is there, as far as Parkinson's is concerned now, and and where it's at in the whole trajectory of of you know science, is is there is there hopeful that there can be a cure? Like as of right now, there's not, to my right. understanding correct it's just you, you try and deal with the symptoms the best you can yeah. uh, and it is a progressive type thing I mean, maybe you yeah. can educate us a little bit on where, where that's at and and how maybe people out here can support parkinson's and what they're trying to do right now yeah so the, the biggest thing that i can say is that michael j fox has been a, obviously a tremendous advocate for parkinson's seeing that he suffers he suffers with it as well and his michael j fox foundation continues to raise a ton of money for research and development on on how this Parkinson's can kind of be subsided and if we can get to a a place where there's a cure. Um, Obviously, stem cell research is a big part of it, um, which can be controversial in some places, but it's it's, it's something that we firmly believe in as far as being a Parkinson's patient. Is it something that might be able to help us? So that's something that continues to happen. But, But Jay, there's a tremendous lot of work going through the research and development of this disease. And there's a lot of a lot of people that are a heck of a lot smarter than you and I that are doing it, which is great. Um, we put our faith in them, and uh, it seems like there's a lot of good things happening. So I continue to keep my eye on that. Awesome. Well, I know you're a big advocate for it, and 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 have been uh, really an inspirational voice in that field. From from me, like I said, I mean, I live under a rock with some of this stuff, and and when uh, when I found out that you did, I started looking into it, and I know that you you have been involved, and you lend your voice and and your time, you know, to it, and and I think that's important because it is misunderstood. I mean, as a lot of these things are that 
that you don't run into every day, you know, and, yeah. and, and people with it, like, I had no idea about it. Like I said, the little bit of research that I did, uh, it's essentially a physical thing. And, and that's starting in that happens in the brain. And, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, man, I just wish you, I, I wish you the best with it. And, uh, and I hope, I hope something, something happens there. Is there, is there a, a way that surgery you talked about earlier, is that something yeah. that can maybe be done now on the other side? Is that something that, yeah, that you so- talked the thing so the thing is i got it done on both sides now what we're working on now is just it's funny because with within that when the wire and the wires go in with this programmer um it can kind of make the the width of the wire like millimeters thicker or it can kind of move it around a little bit so now we're just trying to find that right place in that right side that'll try to help my trauma because you can kind of see with my left hand like there's very little there which it used to be going crazy right now now it's really worked into my other side um, after we're off here, I'll take my medication and that'll help it a little bit, but, um, it's just a matter of kind of, it's trial and error, really just kind of monkeying around with it and going to see my neurologist. And fortunately it takes some time to kind of get these things strained away, but patience I got. Are you able to go on the ice now still? Yeah, I am. I've been on the ice uh, the last couple of weeks. It's been great. Uh, we'll get back at it. Sounds like, uh, the Alberta Teachers Association says that we should have school kind of going back uh, normal in September, which is good for our program. It means we're going to be able to have our kids on the ice and uh, where they love to be and where I love to be. And it's going to be great to be on the ice with them. That's great. So as far as the tremors, then, does it affect the, the legs uh, at all? My legs are usually fine. It's my hands. You know, I never had great hands to begin with, Pods, you know that. <laughs> and now they're even worse. So, I mean, the stuff on the ice... um. I can't do things that I, you know, like you and I are so used to being able to do so much on the ice, mm-hmm. you know, as we get older, those things decline, but with Parkinson's, those things decline a little bit quicker. That's why I try to get out there as much as I can and, and work on some stuff with the kids, kind of hone my own skills as I'm honing theirs. Awesome. And uh, hopefully things will continue to, to slow down the progression. Let's talk about Vimy Ridge just for a couple of minutes before we sign off. You've been so gracious with your time and I'm, and I, I appreciate that, but I know, I know Vimy Ridge, we, I, I wanted to talk to you about it because I know it's something that's super important to you and, and yeah. something where, where you've landed. And from what I've, I've read prior to, to speaking here today is something that's really kind of filled your cup, you know, as far as like, this is, yeah, it's a, it's a place where you feel at home and like, you're like, you're, you're, you're in the right spot, you know, like, why don't you tell us a little bit what that is and, and, and what it means to you? Yeah, so it's a great school. It's a, it's an it's a, it's an it's an athletic academy is what it is, Jay. So everybody that goes to our school is involved in some sort of athletic academy. Um, we have lacrosse and hockey, ringette and baseball and um, um, soccer. We have all kinds of academies in our, or uh, academies in our school, and every student is belongs in one of them. So they're able to do their academics and their athletics together as one. Um, with our hockey program, it's all skill development. They play on their own. They're playing their own club teams at night, but they oh. come to us in the in the school and they get just additional skill development with us, which is a little different from some schools. But uh, they get that additional training. And again, just with the 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 feel of you know where we were playing hockey at one point and be able to come and help these kids to get to where they want to go, even if it's a, you know a tier eight kid getting to be played tier seven the next day, that's something that we believe that you know. The better that they become, the more confidence they'll have, and that just allows them to enjoy the game that much better. So as much as we love the stories of our guys, um, like Kirby Doc, who graduated from our school last year, who's now playing for Chicago, we love those stories for sure, but we love even more the ones that you know got to play their Tier 5 instead of Tier 7, and they're making uh, those big strides.
that's so fun, man, to, to see the improvement and, um, yeah. and just to see them grow into themselves as, as people, right. And to find, to find their, find their way and their identity. Uh, cause obviously life exists outside of hockey. And what I've said before in this program is what's so fun about having topics of conversation, like we're talking about today is, is that you use hockey as a platform for these young men and women, because it's so important to them. And you're able to in, in, introduce concepts that apply everywhere, you know, and, and, and like I said, it does help them as a hockey player, but it helps them as people navigate the world and just build their confidence, um, you know, within their social networks and within their families and all these things that, that to me is what like, like what lights me up is like seeing those, those responses from the parents and seeing, wow, you know, like this, he's, he's, he's really getting it, you know, like it's, it's a different, it's a different kid. How do you, how do you go about that with not having them being in a team environment, which, you know, we've talked about a lot about culture on this podcast too, and creating that and how it can become special um, without having a team per se, how are you incorporating some of these, you know, character traits, uh, you know, and modeling that? So we have at our school, it becomes our core values and core, we use it as an acronym, which is citizenship, opportunity, respect, and enthusiasm. So those four letters mean something to us in our school. And so how are you, what are you learning from our school that you can bring back to your team, right? How you can be a good person, you know, how to take advantage of an opportunity, have respect for the place where you're at and your teammates, and come every day with some sort of enthusiasm that you want to be there. And so that's the stuff that we want to make sure that people can identify that our kids have come from the Me Ridge because they they bring this kind of element to their teams each and every day. So that's kind of the way we approach it. And it frankly is a good place for us to, to be. Oh, that's amazing. I love that core. Yeah. That's super cool. Is there, maybe leave us me because resilience, resilience, it would be a word that I would definitely describe you now more so than even when I played with you. Um, you know, being resilient enough to end up getting to the NHL, being resilient enough to to fight through, uh, you know, the, the the physical disabilities, and now to be able to fight through and get up on a day to day basis and really give your your best to these kids. Like, how do you, how is that lesson entrenched uh, at Vimy Ridge? Like, what, what, how do you use that for these young guys to be resilient? I think what it is is just, is perspective, Jay. Like, have some perspective in your life. You know. Don't put things up too high. Don't put that. It's, it seems like cliche and all that, but some people have to get their perspectives all skewed. And so for you to have resilience and be able to battle through every day, just make sure you have some perspective on what you're doing with your life, right? right. It's not it's not nearly as bad as you think. It's probably not nearly as good as you think. But if you can keep it kind of leaving keel and approach every day the same, you mean you're going to get to a good spot. Resilience is a big thing. So, you know, it's being able to take some tough times and turn them around. It's also being having those really great times and learning that that's that's you're lucky and everything's great, but continue to kind of work towards where you want to be and not get complacent. No, I love that. I love that perspective shift. I mean, what I'll add to that is one of the things that that I've been talking about with a few of my clients is like that we have the ability to, to choose what we feel, what makes us feel good about ourselves. Right. So like that the resiliency aspect. So instead of maybe not getting the crossover right or not having a couple goals in the game, it's like you actually start building up that muscle of being like, but I'm a guy that just doesn't quit or I'm yeah. a guy that doesn't get down. And when something doesn't go well for me, I always persevere. Right. And those are actually moments then that you can identify with yourself saying, yeah, see, I did it again. I'm that guy. I'm that guy. Mm-hmm. I'm that guy. Right. And so like re- resiliency then can almost be framed 
as something that's positive, right? It's an opportunity for you to show yourself again that you're a guy that doesn't let get let down. Um, and I think that I hear that in your voice. So, I mean, like every day is like it's a choice, right? And I'm sure you're building that muscle within yourself that Nathan Dempsey's the guy that doesn't get down. Nathan Dempsey's the guy that shows up. Exactly. And again, it's something that consciously you have to, might have to think about, but then it becomes a habit and that's what you're right. trying to become, right? Right. hundred percent. Oh, I love that you said that because it's like, it's like working on your shot, right? It's, it's the reps. Like you need to apply, apply your conscious thought to that with intention, right? And that every day it's like, how am I talking to myself? What am I congratulating myself for? Right. Mm-hmm. What, 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 what makes me feel good. And like, when you do do that again and again, and again, it becomes automatic, right? Instead mm-hmm. of, of awkward so i'm so glad you said that because i think a lot of us don't think of it like something as a skill something that can be practiced and i i do believe it is 100 percent. totally that's wild man well you know what we i uh you've been so gracious with me i know you put off your your uh i could talk for another hour with you buddy it's been awesome i know isn't that crazy i say that every time man there's this like where do you stop but you know i I think 90 minutes has been amazing i know we have a lot of a lot of people, Randy Petruck uh, chimed in and said hi. And and a gentleman um, by the name of Howard Kinzel said that he met you a few times uh, in passing in Spruce Grove. Never, never like super intimately, but he said every time he had an interaction with you, you were always a class guy. And, uh, and I think um, I think that's I think that's a great way to finish because you always have been a class guy, Nathan. You, you're a class guy right right now for you to show up here and share that story. So, you know, vulnerably and honestly is amazing and i think what you're doing is awesome so uh, we're gonna i make a point to keep in touch now but now, now that i got your number you're not going to get rid of me so that's um, okay it'd be a pleasure <laughs> awesome man so thanks again buddy we'll just uh, i'll take this offline I'll, I'll stop the broadcast now and then we'll, we'll chat after so thanks again Sounds man good, appreciate good. it yeah, thank you so here we have another episode in the books and what a amazing amazing story uh Again, I said in the opener, like for me to share 90 minutes with Nathan and to walk in his shoes for those 90 minutes and to hear what he's had to go through and what he's continuing to go through was really perspective changing. You know, I mean, some, sometimes I have guests on here that I can really relate to. I understand the struggles of being in the minors. I understand things not going your way and what you have to do to try and get to where you want to be. And the things that are out of your control sometimes that, that are impacting that. But here is something that is massively out of Nathan's control. Um, having Parkinson's, having having this um, disease, if you want to call it, if, if that's the right word, and having to go about your day and your business after being a professional athlete, now being a father and a director of hockey and an inspiration to others, and really having the biggest choice of his life on a day-to-day basis of how am I going to show up? Who is Nathan Dempsey going to be today? And how is this thing, this thing called Parkinson's going to slow me down? How am I going to persevere? How am I going to overcome? What am I going to do today to make the most of it? And my gosh, if that isn't what the message about my hockey is, uh, I don't know what is. And Nathan is a shining light an inspirational beacon for anyone who thinks that they got some problems, you know, that thinks that their things aren't quite going their way. What we need is guys like Nathan to know, you know what, we always have a choice. We always have a choice with how we're going to show up, how we're going to participate, how we're going to be engaged, what we're going to be enthusiastic about, where we're going to see positivity, 
when maybe it looks pretty dark. And that is what I got from today's discussion with Nathan, is that he chooses to show up differently. And if there was ever a guy who deserved a C on his chest and a C on his chest in life, it's Nathan Dempsey. I hope you guys got that as well. And uh, yeah, just a really inspirational episode. And so glad you were able to share that with me. And Nathan, if you do listen to this, my gosh, thank you so much for your time again. What an amazing what an amazing guest you were. And, and thank you for sharing your your personal story and your continuing um, you know, challenges with Parkinson's. But um, again, thank you for your leadership in this area. Uh, honored to call you my teammate. And uh, till next time, everybody, play hard. Keep your head up.